Hey, what's an Italian's favorite band from the 90s? Goo Goo Dolls. <laughs> Goo Goo Dolls. <laughs> On Watch and Talk. I bought supplies. <gasps> and on air live, we are going to make some egg creams. Oh you get an egg cream. <laughs> you get an egg cream. Is this you get an egg cream. in the over audience? So, uh, Wasn't she on Sports Night? Eddie Redmayne? I thought so. Eddie Redmayne is Eddie a man. Redmayne. Oh my God. <laughs> in the end, it doesn't matter who wins elections because nothing matters. Because nothing mm. matters, folks. Remember that. Nothing, nothing matters. matters. Hello, everybody. This is season two, episode four of Watch and Talk. This week, we're watching an episode called In, In This, this White, White House. <laughs> uh, my name is Eric. My name is Jason. I'm Elise. And with you, as always, Brayden. Hey, Brayden. That uh, was a really good unplanned saying the title of the show in unison. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, unplanned. Yeah, Brayden always oh, pipes you, in there. Did you like tickle him under the table? I did a little tickle. And you were like... A leg tickle. <laughs> so, so previously Sorry. on, this is my favorite style of previously on. It's where everybody just says their name. I'm Josh. My name's Charlie Young, by the way. I'm Donna Moss with CJ Craig. But it, and it's I'm more Brayden. Than that. It's like, let's introduce all these confusing characters to the new people who've joined us in season two. And let's put in a meta reference by the president at the end of all that to like how confusing these names are and how we don't really expect you to follow this at all. CJ Craig, Sam Yeah. You gotta be a little impressed I got those names right just now. And that and that Toby's drunk. Yeah, Toby's yes. just I'm drunk. Uh, that was so good. Those I think they do those like once a season and they're like, okay, we have no context for this episode. Let's just like reintroduce everybody. Well, it's like now that we've already alienated all of our new viewers with the continuation of a multi part episode that you didn't see the first part yeah. of Here's finishing a, up a four episode we'll catch you storyline but it's good because with the episode name you know where they're going to be in this white house so yeah. you're so you're set up for are that. there more than one white house? we've established that <laughs> this there is are multiple the one. universes and this is the one that we're, we're in. yeah was that clarification the one like where necessary? sam is the one that tackled tj but we don't actually start in the White House. We start backstage That's just at the confusing. Capitol Beat set. Sam's getting his makeup done. And he, the host comes up. It's uh, Ted McGinley. As uh, his character name is Mark Godfrey. He's the guy from Married with Children. He's the neighbor. Oh, my God. That's who that is. It's the Married with Children guy. He's also like the head the jock in Revenge of the Nerds. He has one of Hollywood's best shit-eating grins. He is such a <laughs> shit-eater. Like a total corporophage. <laughs> yeah, him and Sam are chumming it up backstage. They can't book uh, somebody against them. They actually, like, it seems like they're trying to book a Republican, but they mentioned Stackhouse, who right. later is, like, super I, liberal. Exactly. I noticed that. <laughs> so they can't find anybody to go against Sam. Who'd you get? A woman named Ainsley Hayes. Mark, tell me she's not she one of is. these. I thought that was over. No, no, it's not. <laughs> she's got blonde hair, long legs, and she's a Republican, so she's... She's in show business. Yeah. A young, blonde, leggy Republican. Yeah. I thought it turned out they didn't know anything. They don't. What a crazy idea. Get Ainsley a pretty Hayes. blonde Republican and put her on TV. Yeah. It'll never work. She's a... And this build is, is like an Ann Coulter-y type a little bit. Oh, but she's pretty, though. <laughs> she's really pretty. And well, she seems also smart. also not heinous. Yeah. yeah. She seems like really Well, before nice. they bring her on, though, they're like, oh, these, you know, these blonde Republicans never know anything, do they? And so they're just setting up that Sam's going to destroy this lady in, yeah in so the there's interview. a lot of prescience in this episode i feel like this is another one and maybe it's just the way i'm looking at the world now but like so much happens like this right here in this episode where i'm like wow the democrats don't get it they didn't get it 20 years ago and they still don't get it 
they think like, oh, she's a pretty blonde. We're going to make fun of her. Right. We're so excited to make fun of her. Yeah. Then Mark goes and mansplains to her a little bit. No, I haven't done TV before. Okay. Well, can I give you a little friendly advice? Yes, I would appreciate it. Don't overreach. Don't overreach? Don't try to do too much. Don't try to know more than you do. My show's not the place for you to become a star. He's so smug. Sam's going to kick your ass, so just be ready for that. Read your talking points. They start the show. So Capital B, I actually, I did the wrong spelling of Capital. I did the OL version. Wow. And, and it made me think of a, um, a show that's just about like capitalization rules. It's like this week, title case. Wait, but the OL Wait. is like the building. The AL is like the money or head, which is where the money Oh wait, which from. one's which one's the capital letter? Al. Al. So this is right. Yeah. So okay. I thought, have I thought, ca- I thought if the, if the capital B is the people covering the capital, right? The capital. Hill, this is an which o- is the o- should be This is OL. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, right. O- I did it the other way. Yeah. <laughs> I really wrote it down in my notes the the wrong way. I don't know these things. <laughs> but, <laughs> so I'm sorry. The, but the I'd joke, watch that show. Though. The joke is, mm-hmm. I guess, that they're like seriously beating the crap out of each other. No, it's like a news beat. Yeah, but there's Cop but it's beat. also but it's like uh, crossfire. It's like they're intentionally. I don't think B is being used in a violent way. Capital here. beat down. Yeah. yeah, it's like no, it's a beat down. Yeah, that's, that's the, the that's the play. Oh wait, fuck, that was one of my. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do it in post. That's one of my headlines we'll later. No, forgot so, I said that, guys. Um, fun fact for you to cut. Capital with an A, it means money because it originally referred to how many head of cattle you own. Cap, as in head. And that was the Toll. money. That was money. As in cattle. You see? You learn things. All right. Okay. Is that real? Yeah. True fact. Nice. The topic of discussion in this episode is the president's $1.5 billion education bill. Not a lot of money? No, not at all. The only thing I could think of is that it's like a modification and like a slight expansion of current rules. So it's like an adjustment bill, not a new program. Right. But, but whenever you say the B word, I mean, that's a lot of money. They do this a lot in it's the show. It's a lot of money they, to like, a you or a me. When a, when a regular Bray sees that number, they think, heck, that's a heckin' lot of money. Are you yeah. a regular Bray? I'm, I'm an above average Bray, but I'm saying for the, <laughs> for the other Brays out there. Okay. One little thing they mentioned is that the president vetoed the Republican version of this bill a year before. And small spoiler, but it's a plot point later when the president uses his first veto. Oh, they and do it's a like, flashback? No, no, it in the future, like this never happened. So this oh. is just like a throwaway line of dialogue that ends up being wrong. Like a season later, there's like a, a bill comes up and he's like, You gotta do your what you never done before, veto a bill. <laughs> and it's oh, this big funny, thing. Yeah. Go crazy. By the way, uh last year our budget was uh three point eight trillion dollars, which is one fifth of our gross domestic product. Did so, you just use the T word? Just for s- yeah. education. Honestly, no, I don't know what no, the no. difference between the billion and the trillion is. It's like it's a like thousand billion. But I mean, I, no, I know that there's, so no, there's I, 3, I understand 000, the numerical difference. 3, but in my billions. head, when you tell me those numbers, it's just like a lot of money that you'll never have versus like also money you'd never have. It just yeah. doesn't, it's not a huge distinction. No, but I mean, in you, my head. But you can do it in terms of percentages, right? So you could say, what was the priority of our government because of all their budget they allocated x percent of it to education and in this case that increase again we don't know what the what the total total number is but that increase is like and a very tiny 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 fraction so we don't care about annual budget 
It seems like kind of an insignificant amount of money. So Sam defends the bill as the president and Democrats are pushing forward, and then Ainsley schools him. Oh, really? On I this wrote education plan. Nails. Well, school is the education part. No, no, no. You're <laughs> oh, that's blowing better. all your headlines. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, right. I, I just actually wrote that down and just realized it was a pun. <laughs> yeah, the, or destroys. We could do destroys, the, too. Uh, the talking point here is... 40% of the teachers in Kirkwood, Oregon, report not having sufficient textbooks for their students. The package offered by the Republican-controlled Congress offered a grand total of $0 for new textbooks. Of course, the school districts would spend some of that money on textbooks. It's just not allocated for it. Yeah. One one requires them to spend the money a certain way. The other is just a block grant that lets them spend it however they want. So it's a little disingenuous on Sam's part. And Sam messes up the location of Kirkwood, California, and says it's in Oregon. And that's like the punctuation mark on Ainsley's take down of him the bill contained plenty of money for textbooks mark and anyone who says otherwise is flat out lying and we should tell the truth about this textbooks are important and for no other reason than they'd accurately place the town of kirkwood in california and not oregon and we're in business damn she destroyed him with that knowledge of yeah, like very unimportant cities that's i i never like uh, it in arguments listeners from kirkland california Like you, you made like a grammatical error in the substance of what you were discussing. And so you discredited. Like that's, that's a logical fallacy. Right. Anyway, the point is that the pretty Republican blonde lady. This one might know something. Yeah. She knows geography. Yeah. Do you think that they're trying to make Ainsley kind of like a more likable Mandy replacement? I like her so much more. I'm I'm liking her. I'm liking her more. She's a better character. It does show that they're able to write someone who like it you know speaks intelligently about things and doesn't and isn't mandy <laughs> yeah like the dialogue that she's given is definitely more substantial than what mandy had to work with well and it's just better in the long run to have like a sympathetic republican character than have yeah. like these like villains come in and just get like smacked around yeah and there, she's like there the aren't perfect republican that's true but i guess she does get credit Donna. for playing it in like hmm. a vulnerable way as opposed to pl- and sort of a nervous kind of like she's very endearing in the way she acts as mm-hmm. opposed to Mandy who was just and her syntactical and style. <laughs> yeah. I do want to point out before we move on from the way the the show was depicted was the host goes from the right we have so and so and from the left we have so it just seems like that might have been the way you presented things back in the 90s but now that would seem weird like identifying someone as being from the left like we were so much more okay with the two-party system and and that was it yeah back in the 90s and now we're sort of like this person's a progressive this person's like a centrist republican you know this person's a libertarian like there's we actually have gotten further in understanding nuance in in those labels as opposed to just like republican democrat done though maybe that's a way of of further obscuring the true motives like we do this in the paper where we'll we'll say you know the libertarian view the leftist view whatever we do this one feature but it's always disingenuous really it's like basically all everything we're printing is from the right but there are there are legitimate disputes within the voting bloc that that supports republican candidates that is causing real conflict i mean there's a difference between the mainstream Republicans and the Tea Party, although it ended up becoming sort of a co-opted rebranding. But like, you know, there's a difference between the Ron Paul, Rand Paul wing and the Barry Goldwater wing and the religious right and the, you know, Romney division. You didn't mention the the big one now. Oh, the alt-right? Yeah. 
<laughs> I mean, the alt right is like, uh, yeah, I guess that's just like the the less religious white supremacists. What's our what is our house style on alt right for this show? Do we say alt right or do we just do alt Reich? We air oh, we right. air quote it. Okay. With and then say like I'm suspicious uh, of white supremacist group formerly blah, Nazis. Blah, 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 yeah, blah. Nazi. Okay. I'm suspicious of any labeling that begins with alternative from back in the days when you would go to like the music store and all, all the good music was just all alternative. the music was alternative. Yeah. The other thing that I thought was kind of interesting was Sam's argument starts off as just being so obviously vulnerable, right? In a fairly comprehensive study that was done in an alarmingly high number of teachers, 40% of the teachers in Kirkwood, Oregon, for instance, and Kirkwood, Oregon being a fair model for public school districts across the country. Already you're losing when you say that. Yeah. You just say a survey or be like a very comprehensive, don't be like fair, according to like but he goes survey. even further. He's like, this uh, this school district uh, is indicative of every other quite district. the school district, folks. Right. He's like, let me now, rather than cite what the the actual stats were nationwide for people that complained they didn't have textbooks, which I would assume is lower than forty percent. Let me just cherry pick this one town that had probably the highest one, and then claim that it's indicative of the rest of the nation. When if it really were, the stats would be something you'd be quoting nationally. So he's already like just yeah open, not for, prepared. For a, a throat punch at this point. So as Sam is on, they go to commercial break and Sam mumbles under his breath. I hope they're not watching back at the office. Um, Josh, <laughs> but in fact, they are watching. Josh yeah. is watching. Uh, he's back in the office now. So he's on the, off the mend. He's back in full health. Good for Josh. And he runs into Toby's office and he says, Toby, come quick. Sam's getting his ass kicked by a girl. By, By a, a girl. girl. Mm-hmm. You guys were supposed to talk at the same time there. Oh, ready? Let's see how we did By the. Sam's getting girl. his ass kicked. By, By a girl. girl. Oh, I see, hated I did, that. Which yeah. which is worse <laughs> than getting your ass kicked by a man because. Girls are inferior. Because girls are, uh, yeah, silly. Yeah. And they wear dresses. And then Toby... But wait, what's worse? Getting your ass kicked by a girl or a Republican? Who else is going to be kicking his but ass? But if she's a girl. Yeah. That's, that's what's worse. weird. It's like, if, a, if it was a girl liberal, would that have been They would never have put him on there, though, because why would you have two liberals be- I'm just saying, capital like if, beating like each if other? Like, CJ wins an <laughs> argument against Sam, like, you know, within the White House, is that embarrassing for Sam? No. Presumably, CJ good. Well, that's I, what I'm saying. It's really that she's a Republican. Oh, you're right. No, the point, but, but the point girl. made over and over is that she's a girl. Yeah, but it's just weird. It's, it's just odd. The whole thing is weird. Well, but yeah, they shouldn't be saying that. It's, it's not a good odd. moment for yeah. the show historically. So Toby's in on it. Yeah, he yeah says, Toby runs uh, out. Ginger. Get the popcorn. He's so excited, and it's this glee that they share that I'm coming back to. Again, it's like the Democrats think, "Oh, look, we're gonna get her." Like, or or or, or they think these arguments matter, or they think uh, it's just like, "Oh, look, they're laughing. They're they're laughing at this Republican lady on the TV." And it reminded me of like the way that the whole media was laughing at Trump. Like, look. At him, like look, look how fun and well, look how, and it's like look how bad he is at making his points. Well, they also like that Sam's just getting embarrassed too. Yeah, a little but, petty and, on that. And that's the the presumption is like, and they talk about it at the beginning of the show. Republicans are typically not so great at winning these debates, and normally the the moderator sort of steps in and takes some of the punches for the Republican side. But especially the female Republicans, they say tend to be even more garbage at making their points than the male Republicans. Who say? But Sam here is doing a garbage job at making his own points. That's true. 
I'm just saying that's that's sort of what they're. Sam is not performing well here either, which the, I think is the actual the, funny this, thing. I think you're getting at sort of this default assumption of sort of smugness towards the Republicans for trying to make their points. Yes, we're hitting and, on the smugness. Right. And I think that that comes from perhaps observing a lot of Republicans do a terrible job at defending their position on television. Hmm. I like the idea huh. that. Ginger always has popcorn going for Toby because <laughs> he just requests it every so often. But maybe you think they're doing a terrible job. Right. Because I, But they're not. Well, I they're do, doing a very, very good right. job nationally. I score, well, I score a debate based on like the rational arguments and how accurate yeah, the facts are. Yeah, because you think used. you're smart. Right. But no, no, no. It's, but it's you're just, not. You're too smart. We just have You think you're values. so smart, and that's what makes you dumb, We have different bro. values about what wins an argument and i think a lot of people who aren't able to independently verify the arguments and the facts just smart don't win your facts don't win who seems stronger and who has like the the big quips and sort of you're judging like a boxing match on points and they're like mma like diving on your head and like punching you in the face let's stay away from sports metaphor can you do that with something with a book (laughs) you're reading a book and judging it by the number of periods in it and they're, I don't know. Now go no, back. I, don't, I got nothing. No, and they're just publishing nudie mags. You're, you're reading a book and you're judging it by how good the story is, and they're judging it by how few pages there are, how many pictures there are. Ooh, that was good. That was good. Yeah, All right. it's just not the same playing field. And credits. The next scene is a CJ press conference. Uh, she sets up the B plot, A plot. Which one's which? Which one's the main plot? The. AIDS storyline or the Sam? The AIDS storyline is probably the main I one. I feel like that is the main plot, but okay. it, but no, because it's but, really in service of the Ainsley plot. Right. Yeah, it's what ultimately... Uh, no gets, spoilers, but... You know. Yeah, she sets up that the president of Kundu, which is a made-up country, I believe, uh, comes is coming to the White House to negotiate with drug companies over AIDS medicine prices in the region. After the press conference, Toby comes up to her, says that she should have got a couple knocks in on the drug companies. You might have mentioned that the same drug that costs $10.80 in Norway, where nobody needs it, costs $90 in Burundi, where everybody needs it. Sounded to me like we intended to be soft on the drug company. Toby, I don't think anybody expects this White House to be anything but tough on American companies showing a profit. Damn right. And then CJ defends the drug companies. Uh, pretty full-throatedly here saying like they have no obligation to do good in the world they're just trying to make money and we should support them um cj they already have a republican on staff yeah cj is the uh token conservative this week actually the squarely in the establishment democrat yeah but this is a fantasy liberal democrat In right. the Westworld administration. West Wing I'm just saying, good, good, luck, good luck finding any Democrat other than someone who's very much on the left that's anti-pharma. And they, they, I mean, you know, Obama didn't even try to negotiate drug prices with big pharma during Obamacare. And in fact, agreed not to even put it on the table in, in exchange for their monetary support of the bill. In any case, we immediately get into another weird man versus woman thing here where Sam is feeling insecure that he was bested by a pretty Republican lady. Now he feels the need to take it out on every woman in the the West piling on. There's a whole bunch of women over there. Why don't you ask him whether Geneva's in Switzerland or Oregon? Right. So he feels compelled to 
challenge her. Me and you, 20 questions, short answer, general knowledge test right now. He says 20 questions. I think that's a that's a different game. Oh, 20 <laughs> questions. Is it a mineral? Yeah. yeah. Animal, that's vegetable, a different, or mineral? That's a different thing. And then as he's walking out of the room, Toby talks him down, uh, talks Sam down, and CJ makes a chicken noise at him. And I don't think that CJ knows what calling somebody a chicken means because i don't think sam did anything chickenly no he like <laughs> well yeah he fled he went to the office yeah, he led no, toby's he, he, he could have he mounted a head. challenge and then he well, backed off from said challenge okay but cj didn't want to have the quiz anyways i think sam would win that right why because he's the man i don't know yeah, why would you assume CJ that because she's highly competent cj doesn't even know how the census works Wow. Uh, Sam had to explain that to her. But she knows all yeah, the Sam names. Sam doesn't even know where Kirkwood is. That's true. California Dunning. CJ lived in California. She probably yeah. knows. Anyways, everybody's making fun of Sam. It's a weird plot line throughout the episode. Then as CJ is walking out of her office again, um, this new reporter, Bill, comes up. He played Sam on Parenthood, another NBC family program. Oh, I and, didn't recognize him. Yeah, and he's asking about this drilling equipment deal in Iran, Iraq? Iraq. Iraq. And CJ lets it slip that there is a grand jury investigation and she can't comment on it. And then as he's walking away, she does the thing where she practically says, hey, I just let a big story out. I done a big fuck up. (laughs) Oh, nothing. And the guy just lets it go. He's a really bad reporter. <laughs> he's new. He's but just, he knows. He's Later he makes it clear that he knows something fishy is going on. Right. But he has like four days to look into it at that point. He hasn't figured anything out. Yeah. Uh, next scene is President and Leo. Uh, they're discussing some root causes of the AIDS epidemic in sub-Saharan Africa. The South African president said it didn't have anything to do with HIV. Then you got guys like Mbeke who turn around and say that AIDS isn't linked to HIV, it's linked to poverty. It is linked to poverty. Would you like me to show you the list of dead millionaires? He was saying that prostitutes, migrant laborers, the ill-educated and victims of sexual abuse are more likely... Leo, AIDS is caused by HIV. You just named a group of people that have a higher mortality rate across the board. The president also saw how Sam got bested by a woman. Got diced and sliced by a woman named Angely Hayes. Shameful. He, and Does he I, say woman or girl? He emphasizes woman. Interesting. A woman named Angely Hayes. By a, and he says by a woman Republican, but the, but the focus is on by a woman. Comma, a a Republican. woman did it. <laughs> woman can t- think now and talk. <laughs> Two. But then he's like, good for her. Let's hire her. He thinks she's like smart and bright and he wants her on the staff. And she has a sense of civic duty. How many pieces by her did you read? Three. And you're certain of her sense of civic duty? I can sense civic duty a mile away. She's not just one of those regular women. Those carpers, the naggers. Well, I think even Republicans <laughs> oh. are the ones that are carpers. Okay. And Leo is against it. He thinks it's a bad idea. And he knows the staff is going to hate it, too. He says, hard as you might try, the Republican Party isn't going anywhere. This is like in in uh, defense oh, of sure. his hiring on Ainsley. Yeah. And I just thought, again, like this spoke out to me. Like, It's true. The Democrats or the left or liberals like pretend that the right's so dumb and they, they, they make the bad arguments or whatever. It's just a clown show um, to their detriment. You know, that, that that's well, been... But they, they're playing on this idea of carping, right? So carping and like being critical, the presumption, I think, from a lot of liberals is that Republicans are being disingenuous. 
whether or not that's true, I don't think that people care. Well, no, it's like, why would you be disingenuous unless people wanted you to say the things you're saying, whether you believe them or not? It's like Ann Coulter says things. It's not like the things she says, people are like, oh, those are lies, but I know what Ann Coulter probably really believes, and that's why I like her. No, they like her because of the things she's saying that we perceive as disingenuous. Yeah. But, they, but other people don't. Other people like it and don't really – and honestly, I don't think they even care if it's disingenuous because they want to hear those things said. Disingenuous or hypocritical. I think that there's a strain of uh, s- sincere belief that if you catch a Republican out being hypocritical, it's somehow going to make them a difference with their voters because they're going to care. I don't know about that. I think you're – But I don't think they care. Maybe. But, but I think – they they want to hear what they want to hear. But here here the problem is, what's the point of bringing in someone who doesn't act and giving them access, who doesn't actually have a genuinely held viewpoint that we can discuss and learn from, and maybe even convince? Right. It's like it's if you already are just a a political uh, mercenary and you're just saying what people want to hear and you don't really have any personally held beliefs to argue against. There, there's something of value in bringing that person in, but that's why they're sort of making a big deal out of the fact that she actually has genuine beliefs and a viewpoint, and that would be useful to have. It's just that, that there's – it's like such a novelty. They're all so surprised and amazed that someone on the right uh, could have genuine viewpoints and, and actually think yeah. about these things. But I think this instinct of uh, Bartlett's to hire her is also something that – it's a flaw in Democrats, and then they're like – Oh, wouldn't it go a long way if we showed that we reached out and hired some Republicans like Obama appointed that guy like commerce secretary right when he came in. The guy like very publicly like refused the job and embarrassed him. I mean, he put James Comey in charge of the FBI. But James Comey. Yeah. uh, He took Bush's defense secretary. That worked out. And all all (laughs) these things to like show like reasonableness. And then nobody cares. You don't get any points for it. And then all it does is establish that they're. They're more weak. trustworthy on those things it, it, because, like, oh, you couldn't find a Democrat to do this? We picked a Republican. Right, And but this speaks to the difference And in, then Republicans in get in and they never do the, the opposite. But this, this speaks to the difference in approach. Republicans are not humble about the possibility that conflicting viewpoints can enrich in their, their point of view. They can enrich their point of view. They, they're like, no, no, no. We're about winning a certain outcome, and all of the words we use are just like a manipulative tactic in order to win. I think— much more so liberals are genuinely interested in like the academic exercise of politics and of policy. And so the difference here is like Republicans are never going to say, you know what? Like I think our ideas will be strengthened by the gauntlet of the opposition team of rivals. Yeah. Like they do not buy into that because they already know what outcomes they want to achieve. And they're not really concerned about whether they're right or wrong. Sure. Well, I just want to point out, a few months ago, uh, many people on the left were thinking, and I'm I'm guilty of this. Wow, look at uh, look at these Republicans flounder. They're all you know the, the Republican Party. It's going to blow up. Uh, Trump's destroying it. Well, look, it's not going anywhere. They're not going anywhere. You know that's all. That's a that's a crazy liberal fantasy. Yeah, Democrats aren't going anywhere either, though. By the way, they're, oldest it, political party in the, in the world. In the well, worst they are, way, they're they, they they're not the going right. anywhere good. <laughs> they go into a photo op um, with. President Nimbala, who is the president of Kundu. Bartlett makes a pretty racist joke right at the beginning. You can tell your caption editors that Bartlett's the third guy from the right. Because he's the only white. Yeah, exactly. And then they also take- he's the president of the United States of America. 
people. Uh, pretty know. recognizable. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, in general, it's like harmless from a racism point of view. I think. No, I think racist jokes. are I thought great. he was That's saying that funny. just because there were a lot of people standing up there. There's only three guys. No, he, said, he was no, definitely CJ like, was which one there. of these is not like the other ones and kind of thing. And there were like two other people next to CJ. I genuinely thought it was because there were just a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe it's not a racist joke, but it's a race-based joke. Yeah, it was a race-based yeah. joke. But also it was before... a skin-color related joke. They ask a couple of questions, and one in particular, that President Nimbala, like, what's the best case of this like meeting with everybody? And he just tells this story... About like a guy coming up with a wheat strain. There are people who make miracles in the world. One of them lives right here in the U.S. He realized that vital elements could be harvested from the stalk of the wheat. In his hands, India, which at the time had been ravaged by drought and overpopulation, in his hands, the wheat crop increased from 11 million tons to 60 million tons annually. That's right. His name is Norman Borlaug, by the way, and he won the Nobel Peace Prize in 1970. So Norman Borlaug is like, I'm such a fangirl for him. I did a project <laughs> about him. Are you Burlogger? I'm yeah. a Burlogger. Burlogette. Okay. <laughs> um, no, he's amazing. He t- did the first or one of the most notable um experimentations with genetic modification. Are you going to tell us about the dwarf wheat? Because we know about the dwarf wheat. No, you know about it because you watched the show. (laughs) He actually like like said everything that I would have said and like President Bartlett just explained everything. So, but he he did a lot of good things and his like main goal is to try to cure world hunger through genetic modification to make um, like crops widely available and sustainable for people. So, just so, another pro-GMO centrist Democrat. <laughs> People who don't like GMOs hate this guy, but he's like huh. amazing. And he does it. It's not like about splicing like a rat brain with like a spinach head. It's like, that would be cool though. Yeah. <laughs> rat spinach. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like he, he did it like old school where he planted crops, um, two different types of um, wheat like next to each other. And then, and then took, he let the wheat fuck. Yeah, they basically eventually spliced and he kept like replanting only oh, the good really strains. That's not really like GMO then, right? But it, is, but it is. It is. And that's the point about the term GMO. Like everything is it's, GMO. Yeah. Like agriculture is GMO. Dogs are GMO. Right, exactly. There's almost And you love dogs, don't you, people? Don't you, America? (laughs) There's almost no commercial GMO that that does like the sort of put the jellyfish thing in there so it glows in the dark. Right. Like apples, bananas, watermelon, they all were like almost inedible before. It's it's selective... Um, it modification is, it's what, it's what of what is the best doing for thousands, yeah. hundreds of years. The, the, the OG like genetic modification is growing a crop, selecting the best ones, planting only those again, growing it again, mm-hmm. selecting only the best ones until you get exactly what you want. Now, the, the legitimate concern in modernity with doing that is, OK, we found the optimal strain of bananas. Now we're going to only grow those bananas throughout the entire world. Oops, a disease came and wiped out that specific strain right. of banana and we forgot to save any of the old bananas right and we didn't have that kind of diversity that you'd have if people just been yeah, before doing y'all things. write in we know that the last bananas were killed by the root rust and you know don't write in about that we understand how <laughs> bananas work bananas. yeah we love bananas but the thing is is that like on a global we're big them. on bananas we loved <laughs> them before they went away yeah, yeah we loved them we still love them we're, but, we're banana fans the thing is on a global scale you know, non-GMO farming is not sustainable for actually curing world hunger. 
And that's like what Norman Burlog is all about. He wants to create crops that can be grown anywhere in the world and that can feed as many people as possible. Oh, we get it, President Nambala. I just... Well, I just... His answer, though, afterwards, when him and Bartlett were talking, they like tied it into, that's the kind of miracle we need. But he didn't say that in his answer, so it almost sounds like a mistranslation from the question. It's like, what do you expect to get out of this drug medicine negotiation? And he's like, there was this guy that grew weed 150 years ago, and the president's like, and he won the Nobel Peace Prize. Thank yeah. you. Thanks for coming, guys. Yeah, no, they don't like cover it very well. And he like well, it was only twenty years it, ago. Yeah, from the yeah, show. it was nineteen seventy or something yeah. like that. Yeah, he's still alive. He's still alive. I think. Yeah. yeah, and he's still doing. Hey, if you so. want to do a phoner, Mr. Burlug, yeah, we're we all totally big fans. Not me as much. I never heard of you, but uh, the Elise <laughs> loves you. The President Jeb. If you wanted to call in during the, yeah, the Norman the Burlog episode, you, you, you should have called yeah. in during the uh, midterms episode. Oh, <laughs> sorry, Mr. Burlog, but you fucked up. <laughs> but anyway, thanks for nothing. Cool. So it's dwarf cool. wheat. Norm, yeah. it's cool that they mention him. They don't do. They explain like what he did later, but it, they don't do the best job of uh, explaining the real impact and good thing that came from what he did. Anyway, this starts. The president off on an episode long tear. He's talking about this wheat. He's thinking about the wheat. He's loving up on the wheat. Not thinking so much about the AIDS medication. No, well, the wheat stuff he likes. There, there's a there's a direct connection between these two things that they never talk about. I don't know why. And that is, Borlaug could have patented the dwarf wheat and then could have made it illegal to use any of it. In the same way Monsanto does that with any of their like Roundup resistant crops, sure, and they make an enormous amount of profit. And then what they even worse they they genetically modify them so that one they're they have values like being Roundup resistant or being you know better yields. So they can ID them and they sterilize them so you can't take the seeds that are produced by the the, the child generation and have your own source. Whew. You have to constantly go to Monsanto and buy new seeds. So the distinction between what Burlog did, which is this incredible innovation that he then made available to the rest of the world open at no source cost, it. open source it. Instead, now innovators use the power of the United States to restrict competition, even when those drugs could be synthesized by generic uh, sources at no additional cost. That, so the whole the whole conflict here is. The United States has a patent system, but other countries don't have to abide by it, and we essentially go around threatening trade sanctions unless they do. Drop the ball, guys, but we will fill in the gaps. We got you. <laughs> uh, the next scene is Ainsley and her uh, shitty Republican friends. Her friends are rewatching the clip of her talking to Sam on Capitol Beat. Oh. I could watch that a hundred times. They're loving it. You are going to get a lot of work ripping these people to shreds and looking good doing it. Uh, Ainsley's trying to set up her caller ID system because her new agent's going to be calling soon. But she gets a phone call and the number is 202-456-1414. And it's the White House. The White House. Real number. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Yeah. Yep. Ah. Real switchboard. I was sure you would have looked Neat. that up like I did. Because <laughs> it's a, it's not a 555 number. Right, yeah. As soon as you see a real number, you're like, whose number did they just give out? Neat. They cut with her, like, the phone ringing, and she's contemplating. And then it's Wednesday, title card. Sam walks by Donna. Hey, Sam. Excuse me? What? Did you say something to me? I, I said, hey, Sam. Really? Yeah. Because it sounded like maybe it might have made a wisecrack about Oregon and California. 
He's having like paranoid delusions. Yeah. It's like, yeah. People making Did you say something about Oregon and California? And she's like, <laughs> I said hi. And then later with Carol. Yeah. Sam going crazy. Oh, I got it. It's time to turn in your man card. So at the end of this scene with Donna, Donna turns around and walks like away from the camera just as CJ is coming down to sort yeah. of join Sam for a walk and talk. Dosey do walk and talk. CJ does this awesome thing where she, you know, is flustered and she hasn't slept mm-hmm. and she almost like shoulder checks Donna and has to like turn her body to like avoid yeah. clocking her. What, a, like, what an awesome, cho- like, they're actors. They know the blocking. They know who's exiting the scene, who's coming yeah. in. And Allison Janey, like, chooses to do this thing. It's just such a good touch. Like, yeah. what? She's amazing. It also made me think about how, like, in this show with all the walk and talks, how coming into scenes, people get running starts, like, all the time, where they just, like, have to start moving. Like, they come running into a scene and then start talking. And yeah. it's so It clever. must take, like, an hour just to set that part yeah. of it up first. Yeah. Yeah. CJ is noticeably late. Uh, Sam comments on it. Carol comments on it. And she's only there at 8.15. I've never been anywhere at 8.15 my entire life. And everybody's like, are you okay, CJ? It's it's so late for you. Yeah, if I get there at 8.15, you should be thankful. CJ isn't sleeping because the grand jury thing that she accidentally confirmed is is weighing on her. And she doesn't want to talk to anybody about it for some reason. She talks to Sam and it's like, what if I had... And then trails off. And it's like, let me give you a scenario. Just almost says it like three times. Sam knows something's up, but she won't say. And then Leo comes in, pulls them both out into like the bullpen where lots of people are around. Says, I'm going to hire Ainsley. And they both start yelling really loudly. CJ especially. Are you kidding? Oh. Are you kidding? No. Are you kidding? No. Well, what the hell makes you think I wouldn't scream when there are people? I took a shot. Leo! I'm sorry. I don't know why CJ's especially mad about it, though. Yeah, why doesn't CJ, like... Yeah, why would she care if a council person... I mean, I get Sam, because he's like, this person embarrassed me. Yeah, sure. But CJ, it seems more mad about it, and she doesn't really have any reason to. I don't think. Yeah, I mean, she's the woman. She also has to handle, I guess, like the messaging of them hiring a Republican. But I don't even think that would make the news, though. It's such like a low level hire. Yeah. Like an associate counsel. Well, just because she, like, she beat Sam on public television. But you you would almost expect her character to be amused by that. Right. One, it's another woman, so she should be pleased about that, I guess. Girl power. And and two, you go, girl. She's. Like, I guess CJ is is sort of like the, the character that takes the militant leftist view the least, I think, uh, compared to, I, I guess, like, Toby is the one who does that the most, and then maybe Sam second. And it just does seem kind of out of character for her to care that much about there being someone from the enemy team. Well, and it's like the thing uh, Leo said earlier, isn't it, like, somewhat of a pr win if it does end up getting to cj's desk it's like oh yeah look how magnanimous we are yeah, we she reached gets out to use that yeah I, I, it does seem oddly out of character for her to be that upset. and she's she's not going to be working under cj i she's think that not... it's one of the yelling scenes yeah okay it was a good it scene it is funny i loved yeah. when they it's yelled it's very funny <laughs> the next scene is donna and josh i think this is the last of donna we see the whole episode josh is giving her an explainer on the whole setup for the hiv drug negotiation thing I don't feel that I've honed in on this. 
A lot of people in Africa with HIV. Right. American companies hold the patents on the medicines they need. Yes. Most people in most African countries can't afford to buy the drugs at these prices, so they buy them on the black market. In violation of U.S. patents and international treaties. Yes. How prohibitively priced are the drugs? Costs about 150 bucks a week. Well, that's not totally off the charts. A police officer in Kenya makes $43 a month. There's this TV tropes thing. You know, you guys know that website, tvtropes.com. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's one called As You Know Bob. And, and it's just meant to be like, why are these two characters explaining things when both of them should know it? Um, so I think we should rename that, as you know, Donna. Nice. <laughs> well, as you know, Donna. Though, at least with Donna, HIV price. it's slightly plausible that Donna wouldn't know the like the median income. Why? Because she's a woman? In Kundu. <laughs> that she does set it up. She's like, I'm not so clear on this HIV thing. And then Josh just talks for well, three minutes. Well, it causes here. AIDS, Donna. Full blown. Read a paper. Josh walks into the Roosevelt room, and there's a big conference room full of people half drug executives half white house and kundu representatives and it's mostly the president nimbala guy just yelling sir at people this isn't about this isn't about sir you have interrupted me again sir Sir. (laughs) it's all that the guys are kind of rude to him they interrupt him a few times. They don't address him directly. They try to talk to Toby instead. Do you think he's speaking a real language? What is he saying? All it said in the subtitles is speaks foreign language. Yeah. So I don't know. Okay. It probably He probably is. didn't just make it up, right? That's probably something. Probably something. Yeah, that would be odd. Listeners, yeah. if you know what language they're speaking, please write in and let us know. <laughs> Those guys call him corrupt too. He doesn't like he doesn't like any of that. Then Toby kind of calls the drug people racist. I think President Nabal is saying there's more money in giving a white guy an erection than curing a black guy of AIDS. Alan, if it was 26 million Europeans dying, we'd have had a solution yesterday. Josh tries to bring the conversation back on track, and it really doesn't work. And then they just said, like, we're nowhere. And they end the scene there. So negotiation's not going well. Well, there there were a couple things that were weird about this, right? So the the sort of poignant moment in the scene is... Josh is like, come on, this is like, a, we can put like a, like a some certain value. We're talking about 130,000 patients, 200 milligram pills, three times a day, every day. What's the X factor? We don't know how long they'll live. The dollar value for, per pill was either $10 in the Netherlands, I guess, or was it Norway? Norway. Yeah, it was 10 and, and 23. 23, right? So even at 23 per pill times three times 130,000, that's $9 million a day, which seems like a lot, right? But think about the fact that, you know, it's a million dollars a day extra for New York City to have security for Trump. Right. So that's not like a like a totally impossible number to work with, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe we do half the people. Maybe we do, like, there's some... Yeah, and, like, when he's, his, the guy's answer is, like, we don't know how long they'll live. And it's like, well, they'll live a day. And, it, well, if they if they, but if live, they died, then we, it would cost less. Also, that makes no sense because we... That's the X factor in everything, in, in, in life insurance, in health insurance, like the lifespan of people. We have lots of data And you on can that. quantify a price like, oh, it's going to cost $9 million a day. Yeah, and, but it, we also have actu- actuarial tables that are going to present a worst-case scenario for those people's expected life term, and then you, worst-case, lo- save money if they were to not you know, match that number. So it just seems kind of weird. And if you put it at $10, it goes from $9 million a day to $3.9 million which is not a ridiculous cost. 
You could raise public money and private money. To save 160,000 lives. To stop the spread of AIDS in Africa. Actually, I don't know if this would stop the spread. It would just keep these people alive, which means it would spread more. I thought it it was actually a a reduction of HIV, or or maybe it's... I'm not really sure what what we had at that point. Certainly at this point, you could not cure AIDS or HIV. So you're just going to control the... The disease. Keep he said from... something about curing, but yeah, that was probably just. It. I think he was saying they need a cure. Like oh, that's okay. the that that was the Norman Burlock thing. They need a magic cure. Yeah, but I mean, preventing like managing HIV though could help the spread of AIDS. So these drugs just keep the patients alive. So I guess theoretically that means they they They're could still spread it, it. Yeah. And is this the part where they, or is this the next scene where they talk about? That's the next one. Okay. Thursday, new title card. So we're we're in day three of this episode. Margaret brings Ainsley into Leo's office. She offers to stay just in case something happens. <laughs> I'd want Margaret by my side, like if something was going to go down. And Ainsley's proven herself to be an adept debater. Yeah. So you need some backup, maybe. <laughs> I feel like Margaret would be more adept at like physical combat if necessary, with all those sharpened pencils. <laughs> But that's a whole that's a spin-off entirely. They make a little joke about how she's creeping outside the door when Ainsley comes in. So. She was also kind enough to ask for my coat. Excellent. She seems to be a very good secretary. Well, she'll be happy to hear that. She's standing right outside the door. Ow. Ainsley goes off on like a tirade right at the beginning of the meeting. Like I think that it is wrong for a man in your position to summon someone to the White House to reprimand them for voicing opposition. I think that that is wrong. And it is inappropriate. It's inappropriate, and I'll tell you what else. It's wrong. Yes. Leo, in the middle of her, like, monologue, offers her the job, and she just keeps plowing through it and eventually, like, catches up. The fact that I may not look like some of the other Republicans who have crossed your path does not mean that I am any less inclined toward... Here it comes. Did you say offer me a job? Yes. I just thought this whole scene was great. It was great. It was uh, The dialogue dialogue, is perfect. Well acted. But again... I find myself getting angry at Democrats because it seems like, you know, he's he, you know, he throws out a line. Oh, you have an interesting conversation style. Do you know that? Like, I had a note that she's the Yoda of the West Wing. <laughs> he thinks like, oh, he's just disarmed her with this, you know, like clever quip. Like he's won around in some way, but she she doesn't care about that at at all. I like the little. Um, She's like, you have an interesting conversation. So like, it's a nervous condition. And then he says, I used to have a nervous condition. How did yours manifest itself? I drank a lot of scotch. I get sick when I drink too much. I get drunk when I drink too much. What Do you think that's why they put the uh, Toby thing in the beginning? <laughs> it's just like some weird tie-in. <laughs> brace yourself. We're going to talk about alcohol. Yes. Yeah, trigger warning. <laughs> but uh, I don't know, Brayden. I think that like this is just... This is just um, Leo doing his, like, I'm dealing with weird young people thing. I mean, you may be right. It's, it's that. And he, it's, it's just the look on his face. Like, he's enjoying it. He's enjoying this conversation. He's waiting for her to get that, to, to hear that he actually offered her the job. Yeah, yeah, but he's got this smug smile on his face. And I feel like he thinks, bam, I just landed a good one. And but like he knows going into this that she's going to be shocked that they're offering her a job like so it's like he's having fun with it. I don't yeah. really think there's anything like insidious. About what well, there's doing. nothing fun about politics. <laughs> Maybe not for you anymore. Not anymore. Yeah. No, but like in the past it was fun. It was. Yeah. Remember? So- 
Well, you say it was funny, and 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 and, and John Stewart and and John Oliver. They would they, they would they would say the funny things, and we would be like, "Boom, share, gotcha." Yes. <laughs> and a small note: the title line gets said for the first time in this episode in this scene. I'm sorry. A job in this White House? You want a glass of scotch? Yes, please. By Ainsley. In the, this White House? Right. Yeah, we, yeah, they should have given it a question mark. Didn't the president say that last week, too, to Jenna? I in this like, White House, when mm. the president stands, yeah. nobody sits. I feel like this line comes up every episode, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sam and CJ next. Uh, CJ still hasn't slept, so she's going on like 48 hours awake right now. She won't tell Sam what's going on. This is kind of the same scene as the other one. And then Sam goes off on Carol now this time about something that she didn't actually say. Did you say something to me? No. Because I thought you might have said something to me. Sam's hearing voices of women making fun of him. The next scene is, they just cut back to the same scene. There's Leo and Ainsley again. Uh, Ainsley says she, she can't work for a Democrat because she's a lifelong Republican. Her father's a Republican. Her father's father is a Republican. When she was young, she was a young Republican. (laughs) Yeah. Now she's a kind of young Republican. She's not middle-aged, right? Pretty. No. She looks so young. Yeah. Late 20s. I'd still be a young (laughs) Republican. What? I'd give her a kiss. you give her a kiss? Mm Mm-hmm. That's nice. Yeah. (laughs) This is where... surprise kiss? No. Always. I would ask for consent. Oh, okay. This is where Leo says, you go, girl, to her. I know. I love that. Where are you going? I'm not going anywhere. I'm standing up, which is how one speaks in opposition in a civilized world. Well, you go, girl. Leo is just and he also, so funny this episode. He accuses her of killing her pets. CJ accused her of killing the pets. She was oh, like, she probably kills her pets. He, and Leo related it to Leo her. Leo was like, CJ thinks you kill your pets. And she says, no, I don't kill my pets. I don't have any pets. I killed all my pets. <laughs> <laughs> she won't take the job, and so he takes the president's advice, and he appeals to her sense of civic duty. The president likes smart people who disagree with him. He wants to hear from you. The president's asking you to serve. And everything else is crap. It looks like she's probably going to take the job, but she. this is where they leave it for the next day. And so she's going to think about it for a day. And there's Josh and Toby after that. This is kind of just like a fact uh, dump on the HIV AIDS stuff. It's like drug company financials are complicated. And there's R&D budgets, and there's tax credits, and there's import-export costs, and Congress passes things for them. And they get to the fact that pharma owns Congress in this scene, which is kind of nice. Yeah, it's. I mean, the beginning portion of that about all the costs and stuff, BS. Because but that's why? like the other side. No, but all you have to do, let them make the drug, let some other uh, chemist make the drug. The, they're, see, they're concerned about black market sources of the treatments, right? And that's where, like, but why some... would some other chem- how would some other chemists have the funding if it costs four hundred million dollars to no, no, in costs, research costs? It costs that to research it, to do tests, to do trials, to determine the correct way of of achieving the result. Once it's achieved, you can synthesize it somewhat easily. Yeah, but isn't the whole point of that the the way there are, the way Josh argues it in that scene is that like. Sure, it cost them $400 million to make the first pill and then four cents to make every pill after that. Right, so the, the whole point, the whole argument... It's like, where, for, where are those costs going to get recouped right, otherwise? The, the whole point of, of the biomedical patent is you front all of these enormous costs and no one would ever do that. No one would ever spend that money on R&D unless they could recoup it by having a monopoly through a patent, so a 20-year monopoly. But 
that doesn't mean that the company can't go, look, people can't even afford to buy it, so there aren't any lost sales here, right? Like there's a bunch of people who, if they could afford it, would buy it, but they can't even afford it, so we're not even making any money. Right, so and it's can, not net negative to produce more for them. So we could either choose to waive our rights to enforce patents internationally for this region of the world, or we'll just give them a discount that they can't afford. So we make it, you know, if they make $43 a month, we'll make it $4 a pill. And then we're making some money mm-hmm. and enforcing our rights. And the markup on all of the other countries that use this pill is probably so high that they're still, they're not losing any money. So what, yeah, what's, sell what's, for more in Norway where they make a lot of right. money. What's really happening in this, you know, fictional scenario, but I think largely in reality is they're hoping that private and public charitable sources will put money up to pay the inflated nominal cost in order to provide the drug to an economy that couldn't possibly afford it at market. Right. They're hoping they can still get their target price for it. Right. But the, but, they're but in also, the meantime, thousands and thousands of people are dying and they're simultaneously lobbying those public organizations to not use their, their scale to negotiate a lower drug price by fiat. Right. No good. And then super evil. There's um there's a quick biography of President Nimbala here from Toby to Josh. He was a soldier. He's the commander of the army. He was a then he's the president and he's holding the country together with his two hands. And then they're like, "Oh, let's make sure we we do something for him." He's very endearing, guys. Get really attached to this guy cuz he's going to be around for a long time. Don't. Leading his country forever. No. Bright new age. He's of kind Kundu. of a shitty president. Why? Why? He left the country. For they, like a negotiation. <laughs> you know, they do a coup. If he was uh, holding it spoilers. together. Sorry, guys. They do a coup. If he was holding <laughs> it together, he let go. He let go of that country. He fled to the United States. We'll get, we'll get, we'll get, we'll get, we'll get. There's a CJ press conference after that. There is a. Very anachronistic thing at the beginning about how the budget surplus is bigger than we thought. <laughs> what are we going to do with all this money? The CBO's projection actually increased the surplus amount from $2 trillion over the next 10 years to $2.2 trillion. This exceeds even the most optimistic estimates. So nice to think about. And so then we could use it on uh, buying AIDS drugs for uh, <laughs> African countries. That's funny. Hey, <laughs> And apparently, so at the end of the ainsley leo scene leo says margaret can you walk ainsley out of the building please uh she's gonna come back tomorrow and then ainsley apparently like gave margaret the slip threw a smoke bomb down <laughs> ran off. she sneaks into the back of the press room and starts talking to um bill the new reporter guy from earlier in the episode and he gives all of his info out about this Scoopy has. Maybe you can help me then. I'm trying to get somewhere with drilling equipment that might have been sold by Bonomo Energy to the Iraqis in violation of sanctions. I asked CJ about it, and she said there's a grand jury investigation, and she's not allowed to talk. Really bad reporter. To a, to a stranger. He's new. He's a rookie. Hey, are you new? I'm working on this really secret story <laughs> that I think I got a big lead on. And she's like, no, I'm not new. Yeah. And he also heard somehow that CJ hasn't been sleeping well. <laughs> just just to <laughs> reiterate that. It's getting around the press room. And you know how journalists talk. He says that CJ said something about a grand jury investigation. And she's like, she told you there's a grand jury investigation? And he's like, yep. I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> Might be significant, but yeah. I haven't read the federal regulations. Yeah, he's just a bad reporter. 
uh, so far. Maybe he'll get better. He's only four days in. <laughs> He's new to the Capitol beat. Yeah. And it is then Friday. Uh, Margaret comes in and finds her. And she's like, Ainsley, come on. Come. Definitely don't get a close look at the president while he's speaking to a foreign leader. <laughs> it's uh, Friday after that. The White House, it's raining outside. So look out, guys. Something bad's going to happen. Yeah. It's day four of the drug meeting. The CEO brings up the South African president's, like, HIV doesn't cause AIDS. Poverty causes AIDS. A week ago, you people stood up and said that AIDS has only a casual relationship to HIV. And he drops a you people reference, which is a no-no. You can't say you people. I'm not certain to whom you're referring when you say you people. You can if you're talking to white people. Yeah, that's fine. Is it? I think it's a... Isn't that a black thing? When you're talking to white people, you say y'all. Yeah, yeah, y'all people. (laughs) Yeah. So that... The guy calls him out on that, um, and then they have this thing about how the drug regimen is too complicated because it's five. It does sound complicated. It's a complicated regimen that requires ten pills to be taken every day at precise times, two protease inhibitors every eight hours, two combination RTI pills every twelve hours. Yeah, and they can't do it because they don't have wristwatches. Those are pretty cheap, though. Yeah. So give yeah. them wristwatches. You're spending four million dollars on pills. pills. Spend a couple more dollars on wristwatches. But here's the other thing: Africa has a lot of cell phones. There was Not a push them. in the late, even in but sundials. So do they have beepers? As of 2002, cell, there's a, there was this big startup company, Celtel, that came around I think in 98 or 99 that just put cell towers everywhere in Africa and started just like selling really, really, really cheap cell phones. So they like African access to cellular technology. Those little Nokia candy bar phones. It, it like leapt forward like overnight, and I think by two thousand two, it was like one fifth of the population of the entirety of the continent had cell phones, and now it's like I think it's like thirty three percent of all Africans have a personal cell phone. So it seems kind of silly that you can, you can have cell phones but can't get them wristwatches if they need expensive medical treatment. Well, as we've covered before on the show, you got a cell phone, you don't need a wristwatch. Yeah. yeah. It's got a clock right on there. That's what I'm saying, with alarms and all that other fun stuff. No, the right. real implication, I think, that the pharmaceutical execs were making was not that they don't have wristwatches, but that they are incapable somehow of... They can't tell time. Not... not he does say not, that. Yeah, but what I think that he's actually getting at is they don't think that they're responsible enough right. to set these alarms and to take the medicines at the right time. Right. Because they're... Black. They need to be trained. I don't, I don't know. They're, but I also just, think that you know, he's implying educated. that they're just not worthy of taking it as well because they are. I mean, that's like the vibe. That he's no, I, down, I mean, I I'm not getting. They're not worth the medicine. Well, or or that can't. it's going to be a wasted investment. Yeah. Right. They, it won't actually be effective because they won't take it. Correctly. Right. That's what he's getting. At. It's not worthwhile for them. I mean, yeah. And there's there's a valid argument there just in the sense that there's already a struggle, although a lot of this is because there's missionaries who are trying to tell people not to use condoms but there is already a difficulty in getting people in africa to use condoms to prevent can you believe that there are people telling people not to use condoms yeah there are people in a place where there's a aids epidemic who go to another country and they tell those people not to use condoms guess what we know we don't want to use condoms you don't have to tell us (laughs) (laughs) yeah that comes up later in this episode, okay. too. Mm-hmm. But kids um, use condoms. CJ and Ainsley is the next scene. This is another one where 
Margaret's walking Ainsley through the building and she's like, can I just like go wander around for a little bit? And Margaret looks at her watch and is like, yeah, sure, go yeah, for all it. Right. Um, CJ's working out. CJ set up a stationary bike in her office in the meantime. She's a still- life cycle, which I thought they were saying light cycle like in Tron. <laughs> They're not. <laughs> I read the light cycle all morning. Um, so how does she deal with the fact that she's sweaty at work? Not buying that there are showers I, in the White House. They I definitely think they have, have showers. showers in the White House. No, no, there are showers. I thought that was in the what? what what's the auxiliary building? Oh, yeah, right. That probably has a gym and showers in it, but I don't think the White House has a gym in it. So she's got to be all gross and either she go just to walk on down building. to the residence. Oh, Say, hey, oh yeah, hop in the president's yeah. shower. Hey, I'm Prez, I'm gonna go shower in your personal bathroom. <laughs> but is she trying down? to work off her stress? She's that, trying to like tire herself out to go to sleep. Yeah. So does that work? Ever tried to it work does. Out does that work? Yes. Okay. No. One time. It is hard. Have you ever even no. tried to work out? It's terrible, guys. One Don't time imagine, I couldn't yeah. sleep. Don't do it. Several years ago, and I woke up at like four o'clock in the morning because I was still awake, and I just went out for a run, and I don't run. But I just ran. That can be difficult. Yeah. And then I came home and I fell asleep on the rug. <laughs> so it worked. <laughs> All right. You just fall over there you as go. you walk I'm, in the door. I laid down on the rug because I was, didn't want to get into bed because I was sweaty and gross. And I just passed out. So it works. You know? Angelie says, you know, you really fucked up this grand jury thing. You're not supposed to tell people about that. Uh, scares her that she's going to get 18 months in prison. And she's like, ah, LOL. Just kidding. CJ, I'm kidding. You didn't break the law. Attorneys and jurors are under a gag order. Witnesses are free to say whatever they want. And anyone is free to repeat what they've said. CJ probably should have just talked to somebody. And that's a lawyer, like Angelie suggests. So that this remi- this makes me think, like, one of the criticisms that the writers got from the first season, from, like, the insiders, was like, you guys are really missing out on the fact that, like, we don't take a shit without checking with White House counsel. And you never have anyone consulting with White House counsel, ever. And it sets up Ainsley as, this is what your job would be like. Isn't this, like, kind of fun? Yeah. (laughs) You get to save people from worrying about stuff. I thought this was more like, look, the pretty Republican lady is actually nice and smart, too. Oh, yeah. But but she's also doing the job. And competent. This is, like, the job that they would have her do. Yeah, yeah. And she's, like, taking the initiative and, like, doing it without even being official employee. I mean, what I'm saying is to the extent that they seem to be introducing a new character that will be White House counsel... That is sort of, I think the creation of that character probably was responsible for being like, none of these people would be doing any of this stuff without checking with counsel. Yeah, that makes sense. CJ's kind of uh, not nice to her. No. And yet, she does her job. And later she defends the White House staff. Ainsley. Yeah, later later on she does. I, I I didn't really see her being very impressed by CJ. You know, she... She bungled this. She was freaking out over this uh, mistake she made. Tried to hide it, like, in, in an unprofessional way. Yeah. But not, not think, super impressive. But that's, I think, how they end up selling Ainsley on the job, which is, like, these are a bunch of well-meaning people that need your help. Yeah. Because they're kind of bumbling idiots. <laughs> the next scene is Josh and Toby and President Nimbala, and President Nimbala's translator, I guess, is in the room, too. Who do we like more? President Nabala's translator or Kenny? Kenny. Oh, Ken. Bring in Ken. No contest. Bring Ken back. Kenny. Can Kenny translate for President Nabala? Does, does, does he speak Kundanese? But see, this is why Kenny's the worst translator. Why? Because you're not supposed to be like 
an endearing yeah, persona you're, you're in your own right. You're not supposed to steal the show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. Because President Mbala is like a great character and you don't really think about his translator that much. Well, but you know, he also breaks out and like magically speaks English a couple times. No, but that's he what's understands so English. He just, I don't think he's comfortable speaking it. So um, he's just like, this I is... don't want to like accidentally say something wrong. So right. I'm going to do it formally, but he never has to get the English translated to him. Well, this is the scene where he, it is established that he is truly a likable character because he tries to speak to Toby in English and then when he hits a word that he doesn't he ask, know, yeah. he has to ask his translator. And like that's that's there for you to right. be like, this guy's so admirable. Like, so t- Toby, Toby's got a plan. We can get you lower prices if you enforce the intellectual property laws and imports against the counterfeit drugs. Um, and then as a cherry, we can f- forgive your like IMF loans or something like that, or development fund loans, or s- some international development fund loans can get forgiven as a part of this package. So you're going to take an increased cost on these drugs, but you're going to save money because these loans are going to get forgiven and you can stop payment on those. And then, yeah, this is where they, let's just take a few minutes to get really endeared to president Nimbala. Great guy. He's got a father who would be proud of him. He's holding his country together. It's really hard that he had to come here at all. Isn't this guy great? Wait, wouldn't didn't he say his father was really prideful and wouldn't like that he was coming and like? Well, begging? Toby has to assure him that he would have. Yeah, yeah. But it's like he's like he's like coming and begging for help. It's so sad. And then Toby's like, "Actually, you're wrong about your father." Yeah, I know him better than you do. <laughs> Toby's like mansplaining the man's own father to him. Yeah. So no. it seems like they have a good plan set up. It's a win-win-win. U.S. looks good. Drugs come in, and the, and then the drug companies make their money. And and we're all happy, and no one Perfect. dies. So I, I like that even Josh, in this fictional world, has to qual- has to hedge and qualify. Where he's like, we don't need a Congress's approval, because we're allowed to do it as long as it's under $100 million per loan. But just so you know, that, that law might change. I thought that, w- that might have even been made up on his part, of just like, this is like a now or never thing. Take the deal. Yeah, like, yeah. I don't know if my manager is going to let me give you this discount. <laughs> let me go check with the big guy. But that's funny. I mean, it's it's kind of like as soon as someone gets wind that we're doing this, they're going to just amend the law. Yeah. So the next scene is in like Leo's outer office. I guess that's Margaret's office. And Sam and Ainsley end up in the room together. Hi. Hi. Sam kind of has like a jerk store moment. You know, something you forgot to mention about the 95% of the money going straight into the classroom past the pork barrel buffet was that the school only got the money if they agreed not to distribute condoms. It's just like in Africa. Just don't, ha- nobody have condoms is the main takeaway from the Republicans. Josh comes in. But he does seem to think that that's a winning argument. Like, oh yeah? Well, what about there's no, there's, there will be less sex encouraged at schools. And he's just like, uh, that's not really something we're into, so... So he kind of loses a second argument with Ainsley. Josh comes in and they start piling up on Ainsley about how she's not going to take the job. I'm not taking the job. You're not taking the job? No. No, man. Why participate in the process when you can get a job commenting on it? This is um, where Ainsley says something about humiliating free lunches. Degrading and humiliating free lunches. Degrading and humiliating. That's, I wouldn't be humiliated. Give, give me a lunch. Uh, I know. That's why I want to work at a startup, so I can get free lunch. Don't you want the dignity of having your parents make you lunch? No. 
I mean, my mom made great lunches, though. My mom always used to put a yogurt in my lunch, and then I would smash it because I'm dummy, and it would <laughs> it would it would yogurt all over my bag. Yogurt. Thanks so a lot, good. mom. So, I love yogurt. No, no, I I'm into yogurt. It's just that I didn't protect the yogurt. So I don't Got understand it. this. This is like a thing. Like even nowadays, Republicans are so critical of like the free lunch thing and the summer lunch thing, and like what I don't understand why is that a bad thing? You you don't have to use it. Because it's degrading and humiliating. Both. Do you understand how degraded and humiliated <laughs> these kids feel when they? Uh, no, I don't. Get Imagine it. you were really hungry and you couldn't afford lunch, and then somebody gave you lunch. Yeah, how you ba- had to, how you bad had to that would make you charity. feel. But it's, yeah. you don't have to. If you don't want to do it, then go. I don't know, like mow lawns, raise your own money, and pay for your own lunch. Like you don't have to. It's look at you lunch. degrading and humiliating. <laughs> do they want to block grant the lunch money to people? You know what? They should like they a should tax not credit. Allow... I thought that was a separate program, but tax credit the lunch program. It's the kids who bring their own lunches Vouchers. that humiliate the kids who right. are getting the free lunch with their Dunkaroos. Yeah, oh, with their wow, fancy quit showing off your privately gushers. made lunches. <laughs> but it's like the whole free lunch thing came about because it was like kids weren't eating and they weren't able to focus at school because they were hungry. Yeah, I'm I hungry just, right I just now. They should just give free lunches to everybody. Like, how is this yeah. a talking point that makes sense to anyone? Yeah. Um, I'm going to repeat it again, but it's degrading and humiliating. <laughs> Clearly. To eat lunch. Yeah. For free. Yeah. Speaking of which, when's lunch? <laughs> yeah. Well, you're not going to get any free lunch here. Ainsley brings up the tendency of liberals to em- embrace all of the amendments except the Second Amendment, and Sam takes it personally on account of Josh. But for a brilliant surgical team and two centimeters of a miracle, this guy's dead right now. From bullets fired from a gun bought legally. They bought guns. They loaded them. They drove from Wheeling to Roslyn. And until they pulled the trigger, they had yet to commit a crime. I am so off the charts, tired of the gun lobby, tossing around words like personal freedom and nobody calling them on it. It's not about personal freedom. And it certainly has nothing to do with public safety. It's just that some people like guns. And then I like there's a little thing in the scene where Josh like gives Sam like a shoulder bump. Did you guys notice that? He like, does check him. Yeah, he's like, yeah, get him, get him, bro. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was like ease up. You're getting too intense. Yeah, but I, maybe I misread that. Maybe because Josh does like go into the back of the room and starts like rubbing his face <laughs> and like buries himself in the corner essentially. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is also another Ainsley's response argument. doesn't make any no, sense. No, she here. doesn't respond to what he's saying at all. But you know what's more insidious than that? Your gun control position doesn't have anything to do with public safety, and it's certainly not about personal freedom. It's about you don't like people who do like guns. You don't like the people. He's like, yeah, these guys bought a gun legally and then drove here and shot at the president and almost killed this guy, and everything they did until they pulled the trigger was legal. And she's like, how dare you? You don't like them. Well, this is the this is like the, sort true, of the smug personal yeah, attack thing. It's true though, right? Like, I I don't buy her strawman argument, of course, because she's the strawman Republican that the left doesn't care about gun safety. I don't even I don't I don't understand that, but I do agree with her assertion that like we we don't like gun people. But well, that's this is... not. But that like even it, them not liking gun people and them thinking guns should be like illegal or more regulated or two separate things her argument's basically nothing bad has ever happened because of guns even though you just cited like an example of it this is very poorly written but this is the argument they're trying to make liberals 
believe that the rights in the Bill of Rights should be taken so seriously that, you know, according to the Supreme Court rulings on this, only if there is like a narrowly tailored, overwhelmingly necessary state purpose, can you restrict or regulate the the Bill of Rights. Except for the Second Amendment. Except for the Second but and, and what I mean by that is, it's not that liberals don't pay lip service to the concept that if you find there's an individual right to bear arms, that should be respected as part of the Bill of Rights. It's that liberals really take seriously the idea that, no, we're not going to tolerate any regulation of your inalienable rights unless it is absolutely necessary for some incredibly compelling purpose, right? So privacy rights, that's where Roe v. Wade is decided under. It's your, your right to privacy. Yeah, you apply that to a lot of things that we take are it so a, seriously. A, 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 a bit of a stretch. <laughs> right. Well, we're just, we're so maximalist about it. It's like only when you absolutely must. And even then the way you regulate must be narrowly tailored to be as minimally interfering with the right as possible. We do not take seriously that approach when it comes to the second amendment. And I think it's probably correct that the reason we don't really give a shit about being as careful and respectful as possible about the second amendment. Now that it's been decided by the Supreme court in the same way that Roe v. Wade was decided by the Supreme court, like it or not, that's the law is because we don't really identify with that, that right. And we, and we don't like, we don't care about these people. We, right. we, and I, th- I do think like, I do think I believe it, there's just these people who like their guns. What do you mean? You, these people. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. Cause I'm talking about whites. No, it's, right. The yeah, these gun lovers, and they just want to shoot off their guns, right? It's, because it's, we think of them as dumb. It's a different culture, Southerner. It's non- a different culture yeah. that we don't respect. It is, yeah, yeah. But but the thing is, although it's a valid, it's it's validly a criticism of liberals to say that they're hypocrite hypocrites about the Second Amendment. At the same time, to say, well, you liberals care about all the amendments except the second one. But it's like, well, on the flip side, you Republicans only seem to care about the second one and a couple of other ones, like First Amendment when it comes to corporations. And the soldier, soldier quartering thing. That's the thing. <laughs> Everybody takes that fourth. one seriously. Very fourth. much so. Is but that fourth? Is that... I, I, I don't know. Maybe I just think that because quarter and four <laughs> is one was, quarter. Isn't a third? It should be four. They should change it. Is, or is it part of the privacy one? I thought it was the privacy. I'm not really sure. That kind of makes very sense. Ill, uh, very infrequently applied. Who can name the ten... Commandments. Commandments. Oh, <laughs> so the tenth one's super easy, guys. That's like a freebie. The tenth amendment. Thou shalt. Oh, tenth. It, it's definitely thou shalt not something. No. No, it's, it's, it's states' <laughs> rights. States' oh. rights. Tenth amendment. Okay. Cool. But uh, that wasn't easy. That's that that's where. That's why they keep saying stuff like, "Oh, uh, you trying to make us look stupid, Jason?" <laughs> Boom. <laughs> I'm so smug. But okay, so like. It is kind oh, of the lawyers. case. It is kind of the case that conservatives don't give a crap about equal protection. They don't give a crap about due process. They don't give a crap about your privacy rights. They don't give a crap about the First Amendment when it comes to taking seriously the idea that money shouldn't have a, an impact or on your protest. ability to express yourself. Absolutely. So I do. I do think that there's something in what the Ainsley character says that the left doesn't respect these people, but it it works. But it works both ways. Nor does the right respect. You know, minorities or, or the, you know, different sexualities or whatever. But we should set up here that Ainsley really doesn't like it if you base your political arguments if you don't like the people. Right. Don't make right. it about the people. Right. It's such a, it's such a thin, it's like. You the people. <laughs> it's like Republicans don't care about the Constitution at all. 
But then the way they criticize the left for actually trying to do their job and honor the Constitution is like, well, you forgot one. Yeah. It's such a weak sort of like, you know, it just doesn't, empty criticism. It doesn't address anything that he says, that Sam says in his argument at all. Like when he makes a very good point that they're like, we should, it shouldn't necessarily completely take guns away from people, but there should be something that prevents that sort of thing from happening. And she doesn't even concede any of it. Like, yeah. at and there all. are those words well regulated, which seems kind <laughs> of like important that they specify like this. They don't sell like a well regulated right to uh, freedom of speech or something. Yeah, but right. we don't. They say that's like an absolute thing, but they right. say well regulated. You're right, but we don't. We don't respect that court decision. The court has decided like that. That 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 does not mean well, what we think. No, but what the it court, should mean. No, the court says you have an you have an you have a right, a fundamental right to to bear arms, but they absolutely say you're allowed to uh, limit that with rational regulations. So the court doesn't even apply a strict scrutiny test to like the broad right to own any kind of weapons you want, assault weapons, semi-automatic weapons, shotguns. No, they just say there's a core inalienable, or not inalienable, but, but fundamental right to have a handgun in your home for personal use. They leave open the possibility of a safe laws that require you to keep it in a safe, and they leave open the ability for states to regulate every other kind of weapon other than handgun personal use in your home. So you can eliminate uh, the right to, to open carry or concealed carry. All of that stuff is still compatible with the Second Amendment, according to Heller v. What was it, D.C. or Chicago? Or right, but we don't, we don't need uh, to be in a militia. Those, right. you know, it's like well-regulated militia. That I think, but but you can you can you can interpret that broadly to mean the right of the people to essentially form like a like a vigilante local an ad hoc militia, a gang, an ad hoc militia, a gang. Yeah, but that's that's what it says, and you're allowed to regulate that. Yeah. So anyway, they don't they do not settle the Second Amendment question in this scene. Pretty Republican lady, you know, points out. That Sam doesn't like these people. Later on in, in the next scene or the one after, her friend says, I hate these people. I know, that's what I was saying. Like she's, <laughs> she's so, like, that's a sticking point for her. It's like, don't, don't make it personal. And then that's when she like, really comes around, it seems like. Yeah, so Toby comes in for the end of the scene. Charlie comes in and hands a note to Toby, who looks at it, gets serious face, hands it to Josh, who gets serious face, hands it to Sam, he gets serious face, and then they all just like flee the room and like Ainsley's like mid sentence. And I thought that was great. That mm-hmm. like the, yeah, they're having fun, like arguing with you and like having like a sparring contest. Yeah, mm-hmm. but then like we have real shit to do now, so like later. Meanwhile, the president's still talking about this fucking wheat. <laughs> He's I crazy know. about the wheat. No, we could that... only do ten minutes on the wheat. No. He's doing like <laughs> 20, 30, 40 hours. That's at the end of the uh, Yeah, so Josh <laughs> goes in through Leo's office because there's an Oval Office situation going down. He leaves the door to the Oval Office open. Strategically. <laughs> strategically. There's a lot of military people in there. There's intelligence people. They're in suits, so I assume they're CIA or something like that. Fitzy. Uh, no Fitzy, right? No, I thought Fitzy. He calls for Fitzwalls and Nancy. He calls uh, for Nancy. They, they, ne- they never come in, though. Yeah, President Nabala comes in and they say there's a coup going down in Kundu. Uh, they take in the television station. Yeah. All right. What, what? That's, it's just a headline right it's there. Wow, you're on fire, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> they have the singular TV station, the singular radio station, the airport, uh, the, the capital. The country only has one capital. 
kind of backwards country is this? It's in Africa. <laughs> yeah, wait, why don't countries have more than one capital, guys? It's a small kundu. G- keep a spare. Did, did, didn't Germany actually have that, though? I don't know. Germany Maybe that's did. why we don't oh, do it for anymore. Like East and West. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It I mean, that's probably but, happened before. Though. But it was both Berlin. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, no. It was Berlin and uh, what's East Berlin. One? We should have like a whole cascading series of capitals. President Abala is like, I need to go home. And they're like, not going to happen, bro. Uh, your brother's dead. Your sons are dead. Your wife's hidden in Kenya. They ha- they have all the things. Um, and like, he- everything's gone to shit yeah, so don't, quickly. Don't go back. It's not going to work out. He doesn't uh, listen. He uh, wants to go back. And <laughs> as this is happening, Ainsley walks into Leo's office, stands at the edge of the Oval Office, and just watches the whole thing. Yeah. Good security, guys. Right. She's a lawyer. She should know she can't do that. <laughs> and then Margaret has to be like, um, excuse me, get back in here. Closes the door in her face. So bad things happening in Kundu. The next scene is Ainsley meets her shitty friends for dinner. They're super excited like oh what was leo's face like when well, you first told of all, him they're just straight up talking shit about her as she's approaching the yeah table. she looks like a gap dancer <laughs> is that a thing people knew what that was in the 90s i don't know what that is no, the, remember, on, remember the swing the brian seltzer orchestra yeah <laughs> they, they, they single-handedly brought back swing yeah i bought those cargo pants was that a gap dancer they had those commercials where everyone would do these like choreographed dances and it was like a bunch of smiley white people and then they would sell you things. Is from this what the gap. brought fedoras back into style? Because if so, I do not support it. So the guy says, "I hate these people, and they're aren't aren't they all worthless?" And Ainsley's like, "Nope, they're not." But don't call them worthless. At least don't do it in front of me. The people that I have met have been extraordinarily qualified. Their intent is good. Their commitment is true. They are righteous. And they are patriots. They're the best people I've ever met, and they're my best friends. <laughs> she's, she's so In respectful. So many she's, words. she's like, I don't want you to say that, at least not around me. Like, I respect your right to say that when I'm not there. Actually, Pokemon is real. She's like, Geodude is real, and he's my friend. Like, you can call them smug, you can call them condescending, you can say they're fucking idiots, but don't call them worthless. Not by me, though. Because I don't know why it's categorically different, but well, no, she's like you can insult their policy, you can say their policy. Don't question their motives, I guess. But they are like good people trying. This is hackneyed. I have to say, there's one part where she says their intentions are true, and it's like what they're righteous. Yeah, it's like you're really overselling this. Yeah, but she defends our our gang in the White House, and she's gonna take the job. Total fantasy. Yeah, she's like an idyllic Republican fantasy. That like we all wish existed in the world. Is she a manic pixie dream Which Republican? Is, she is. Ooh. She is. She's. She's our... pretty manic. She's yeah, pic- she is. Totally right. She doesn't have a pixie haircut though. No. She but needs one though. Neither did does uh, Zoe De Chanel, and she's the manic pixie That's dream true, girl. Yeah. So yeah. pixie like not with the haircut, but in the sense of you're adorable. Ainsley is a manic pixie dream Republican, and I'm so happy she's on yeah, the she's show. Good. I love her. And then the last scene is Toby's office. It's the president. Toby and Josh, and the president's talking about dwarf weed again. Uh, he loved that weed. He uh, now he's talking about it in like a way that I it, it to me it sounds like he's just like reading a script about it. See, the problem was that weed is top heavy. It was falling over on itself and it took up too much space. The dwarf weed. Reading, reading the Wikipedia page. Yeah, this is like not 
maybe the some of the worst acting I think that the president has done on this show. How excited could you be over dwarf weed? No, I would. You guys, I would it have was said a that, revolution. You no, I am showed excited. me what true excitement over dwarf weed could be. <laughs> yeah. So now I'm seeing the president really is phoning it in. Yes, he is. No, you can be very see, excited the, about it. This is where I think the original dialogue and I'm just speculating, was supposed to be like, why can't people be charitable like Norman Burlog and like not try to profit off of everything that's patentable? And they were like, no, too controversial since probably this network has a bunch of investments in pharma or takes a bunch of uh, Yeah, there's a Viagra commercial coming on so, after this. Yeah, yeah, mix all that stuff. And at the last <laughs> second, let's just repeat the one thing he says in the beginning about Norman Burlog. Yeah. Charlie comes in, gives him a note, and... President Nimbala has been executed the in the airport dead. parking lot. They killed him. Mm. Bummer. Yeah. So kind of a bad president? <laughs> <laughs> the, I mean, the United States is like, he knew no, that was gonna you happen. can't go because they're going to kill you. And he's like, yeah, I'm doing it anyway. Bad decision. Bad call. Didn't he let his out. country fall apart. Now everyone's got AIDS. And his I wife mean, is still hidden in Kenya or whatever. So, like, yeah. What do you do? Like, they were working to find his he family needs to go, uh, and his kids ghoulinist. in the U.S. government was. So, yeah. like... What do you do? What does he do? It's run, the, run a... Run a uh, the radical turkey... Uh... Yeah. Run it. <laughs> he's, he's that radical turkey. <laughs> 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 Trying to overhaul Thanksgiving. <laughs> uh, no, he's the like guy that lives in Pennsylvania that's, like, the exiled Turkish uh, re- religious leader that's, like, trying oh. to overthrow the government from the United States. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, sad. Uh, we... We get introduced to this friendly black character, and they kill him off at the end of the episode. It's like every time Again. I fall in love with the love with the black character. Yeah, I fear for twice, Charlie. Oh my god, god, I fear for. They tried Charlie. to shoot Charlie. I know. I know. I mean, like, black characters on this show are like the red shirts on Star Trek. Yeah, yeah watch out. Yeah. Like when I saw that little kid in the last episode, I was worried. <laughs> oh my god, Jeffrey! Jeffrey. Jeffrey. So Not cute. Jeffrey! Don't Not take Jeffrey, Jeffrey away from us. Not again. Credits after that. Um, it's. Ainsley looking through the door at the meeting, which is a decent shot. We've it's talked dynamic. about how Peggy Noonan is a consultant. No. Peggy Noonan's a consultant this on this episode. Thing. No, it's, it must have only been this season. I never noticed that before. You never noticed it before. Yeah. Hmm. Could be worse. Uh, like, mm, could. Wait. Like, Peggy Noonan was a speechwriter for Reagan. So it's like, you know, she's got some insight into, like, what it's like to be in the West Wing, whether her. You know, she's like, here's how you write a Republican everyone will love. She definitely knows what the backstage of a political talk show is like. Oh, yeah, for sure. That's the end of the episode. So headlines. I got a really good one, guys. You have several. Capital beatdown. Nice. Well done. But like attack. (laughs) Um, I have one. So remember, the host of the show is Mark Godfried. I don't. I'm telling you so you understand oh, you're doing this headline. A setup. Yeah. Okay. Hayes puts fear of Godfried in Seaborn. <laughs> Get it? Because the fear of God and Republicans. Guys, I didn't do any headlines. I wrote uh, Wangland out. Hmm? Oh, Wangland is the guy who canceled. Yeah. Yeah, I got you. Okay. Seaborn Smackdown. That's, a, that's not as good as Capital Beatdown. That was... Ainsley Slays. Oh, that's good. Cool. And Kundu. I tried to do... How Kundu you? Hey, girl, Hayes. (laughs) (laughs) White House staffer pressures Congress to change name of Portland, Oregon to Kirkwood. (laughs) I have a White House senior staffer experiencing paranoid delusions because Sam keeps thinking people are saying things to him that they're not. Pretty woman talk good. (laughs) 
Nice. Uh, I just have a, a photo caption. Uh, President Bartlett, third from left. <laughs> Pictured <laughs> with President. Yeah, I've got a sad one. Uh, no AIDS for Numbala. No. Numbala? Because num, no, no one helped him. Yeah. And he died. Oh, no aid. Yeah, no aid. AIDS. It's a yeah. double entendre. It's a, it's a, it's a double <laughs> you can just entendre. Come with no, no AIDS aid. Yeah, no AIDS aid. No AIDS. My French roommate was like, why do you say double entendre? It's like, the, <laughs> it's like double entendre. <laughs> you always say the dr, but we don't say By the By saying double entendre, we're already making fun of the word double entendre. Double entendre. <laughs> okay, so get it right, guys. That's like, like when... People like when like Mario Batali like is just speaking like English and then he'll say like ricotta like in the middle of a sentence like hmm. I don't want to I'm not gonna put that effort into that word <laughs> you know mozzarella Google doll I mean yeah. English is like the Borg <laughs> like resistance is futile we're going to assimilate your words can like, we get through an episode without a Star Trek reference <laughs> it's appropriate <laughs> I mean yeah, yes I it till Star the last. Trek applies to all of life but you know. That's on my headlines. So I don't got a point. Yeah, same. Uh, uh, final thoughts, guys. I got to give this one a depressed wing. It's <laughs> <laughs> sad. The dude dies, and it just reveal. I think it's really just like my life now. But I just see all the terrible mistakes that smug liberals make, and I interpret everything in that lens now. I'm going best wing. Okay. Yeah, same. I like yeah. Ainsley a lot. This is a favorite. Episode. Episode. Yeah. It's a really good character introduction. It gives her like an arc so she can just be like a good background character for a, most of the rest of the show. Um, but not like she doesn't really have a lot of main plot lines going forward. But they give her one so you get like endeared to her. And then when she pops up, it's good. And I thought the AIDS thing is like very that it's a little cliche the way they killed the guy off at the end or like a little pat. But it's a good like encapsulation of an issue episode, and I always like those of the West Wing. Like they get a lot of points across, and they it's pretty dense with information. And like I feel like you kind of sort of know some of the specifics of that issue coming out of this episode, which is like the best case of a West Wing episode. So pretty good all around. Yeah, I I loved it. I think that you know it's like all policy, and they get into some really serious issues. And I and I I don't know if I necessarily think it's just totally kind of a throwaway ethos thing to kill him off at the end because i think the point they're making is it's this is how difficult it is to solve problems in africa it's like you cut a deal with some guy and then he's murdered in a military coup like had they even made a deal and gotten the pharmaceutical companies to do something nice with him it would have been for nothing anyway yeah the afrp or whatever is probably not going to honor the deal now yeah i love this episode i think ainsley is so likable and unlikable at the same time and she's such a good addition to the show she's like a feisty argumentative character for everyone to the whole staff to disagree with and i really like that they brought the pharmaceutical issue to the forefront that's an important thing i think people just should think about and president nimbala was such a good character but i am annoyed that they keep killing off all of the best black characters yeah give us our blacks guys come on i will say that um it's nice that they decided to put a character in there that can express like the Republican viewpoint so they don't have to keep rolling dice to see which character is suddenly Republican every episode. Yeah. I do I uh, you know getting a, a little ahead of ourselves. It is kind of funny how they hire her for this like low-level job and like the president even describes it that way. It's like, "Oh yeah, stick her in the council's office. Like put her on staff, but like and then she's all of a sudden like 
super tight with like the most senior of staff yeah had she been, like why aren't any other lawyers like best buds <laughs> with the staff like had she had she already been a white house associate counsel and then suddenly this happened it would have been unrealistic but it seems like the there, he's like we want to bring her on here so that she can express her viewpoints and we can use that to kind of enhance our positions but she needs to have some we title. need to give her some kind of job and this one seems plausible because attorneys aren't supposed to have political viewpoints. Right? Yeah. It allows her to like do her job and like her civic duties sort of without um, letting her Republican beliefs uh, like impact her job. But then also she is a sounding board for them on the Republican side. So Sam doesn't have to write all those opposition papers anymore. That's true. Yeah. And it's great to make her a lawyer just because it, it kind of lends, it, it allows her to like be an expert on stuff plausibly and, be the perfect foil for Sam, who also sort of has that, like, know-it-all. I only respects other lawyers. Clearly. Also, she's pretty. 